book of Ruth. <laughs> By the time this is done, we're going to be in uh, first, uh, first and Second Samuel. Um, book of Ruth, one of the most dramatic love stories found anywhere in the pages of Scripture. It is one of the most significant books when it comes to the church. Why is that? Because it has so much to teach us about that kinsman-redeemer relationship, basically, and what that's all about. It's called the Goel in the Old Testament. And we discover it is the, the same rule, role uh, as our Savior, which directly impacts your life, uh, your destiny, your eternity. As you saw in the video, there are basically three main characters uh, to this story. We have uh, Naomi, the widow. We have Ruth, the Moabite. We have Boaz, the Israelite farmer. We see, first of all, how Naomi basically is, uh, is a type. She's a mirror that reflects the nation of Israel. In fact, what God wants us to know and understand through this story is that it's so much more than just about Ruth and Boaz or, or, or Orpah and, and, and Elimelech. A major key figure in this story is Naomi. Uh, Naomi is, a, again, a mirror image reflection of the nation of Israel. In fact, throughout the Bible, God often holds up a person and says, here, look. And what we do is we look at that person and we see much more than just that person, but we see a mirror that reflects back to ourselves. We say, hey, wait, that's me. Have you ever watched a baby look in the mirror? This past week, we had a chance to look uh, after little Cooper, my granddaughter, and I basically uh, held her up to a mirror. Now, she's probably looked at a mirror before. Babies look everywhere. But they suddenly stop when they look in a mirror. They are riveted. Basically, I think maybe for the first time, she realized that was her. When you and I look in a mirror, we see ourselves, we see who we are and what we are in a totally different light. For example, when we looked at Samson last week in the book of Judges, uh, Samson was miraculously born. He was incredibly strong. Uh, but he was always going after things that he shouldn't go after. He was always doing things that he shouldn't do. He was a mirror, a reflection, a vivid picture of self-sufficient Israel. Israel was supposed to look at the life of Samson and say, oh wait, that's us. He's a mirror. Now we're looking at Naomi. Uh, where does the story begin? Well, as you saw in the video in chapter 1, verse 1, it tells us that this story happened in the days of the judges. What did the days of the judges look like? Well, it's summed up in the very last verse of Judges, chapter 12, verse 25. It says, in those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Everybody did what was right in their own eyes. Can you imagine living in a society like that? Basically, you confront your neighbor. His kid is throwing a, a baseball through your front pane glass window of your home, and you tell your neighbor, you need to pay for that. And he says, no, I don't. And you say, yes, you do. He says, no, I don't. You say, yes, you do. And because everybody does what is right in their own eyes, you decide to take a brick and throw it through his window. Then he turns around and torches your house. You get the idea. Things in Israel were going from bad to worse. Why? Because there was no godly king. There was no moral compass. Uh, basically, no one, was, no one was following the word of God, and everyone was doing their own thing, doing it their own way. Everybody was doing what was right in their own eyes, and that led to a personal disaster and basically social anarchy. And so Israel, the state of Israel as a nation, was going down, down, down. It was getting worse and worse and worse. And by the time you get to the last story in the book of Judges, it's so dark and, and so desperate, in the final chapter, basically, all the lights go out. 
It's about as bleak and as black as you can possibly imagine. Why? Because in those days there was no king. Everybody did what was right in their own eyes. And that's the final verse that basically comes right before the book of Ruth begins. The Israelites were supposed to look at Naomi now and say, hey, wait, that's us. She's a vivid picture of where they're at. Now, in the beginning of the book, there's a famine in the land. Bread is hard to find. Jobs are scarce. A young couple by the name of Elimelech and Naomi are wondering, what in the world are we going to do? Elimelech basically says, hey, I, think, I, I, I hear things are better across the lake, over in the land of Moab. Uh, the lake he's referring to is the Dead Sea. And on the other side of the Dead Sea is a land, basically, that uh, is made up of people who settled after Sodom and Gomorrah. It's made up of basically the descendants of the incestuous relationship between Lot and his daughters. The Moabites are, are pagans. Uh, they worship idols. It's not a good place for a godly couple to go. But there's food there. <laughs> and so Elimelech and Naomi, they pack up, they, they walk away from their property, they walk away from their people over to Moab, and they settle there basically as resident aliens. They leave the land of promise. They leave their inheritance. They leave their family line. They look for fortune somewhere else. What did God say about Moab? <laughs> God was very clear. Don't go there. Don't mess with those people. Don't have anything to do with them. And certainly don't intermarry with the Moabites. But Elimelech doesn't really care. He goes to Moab anyway. And their sons intermarry with the Moabites. And then what happens? Well, the curses of the, of the Sinai covenant kick in. Remember, God's covenant always basically said, if you do what God wants you to do, if you obey him, you're going to experience blessings. If you disobey him, you're going to experience cursings. Elimelech goes there with his family, and uh, bad things happen. Elimelech dies. His two sons get sick. They die. Naomi is so traumatized that she changes her name from Naomi, which means sweet, great name to name your child or granddaughter, uh, but she changed it to Mara, which means bitter. Things went from sweet to bitter. Why does he change her name? Why to bitter? Well, she has no land, no inheritance, no husband, two dead sons, and a desperate, destitute daughter-in-law named Ruth. I mean, things don't get worse than that. And so she tells everybody, hey, just call me, just call me bitter. <laughs> How often are we like that? We feel like God is out to get us. We got a raw deal. Things aren't working out the way we had planned, and yet we're totally unaware of the fact that behind the scenes, God is at work. He's going to bring things together in a way that we could never possibly imagine, greater and far better than anything we could ever plan. You see, God is in the redemption business, and that's really what the book of Ruth is all about. It's, in, it, it's God redeeming his people. God has a way of making bad decisions even poor choices, even sinful choices. And, and even though we're suffering the consequences of those decisions, God turns it around for our good and for his glory. I'm so glad God does it that way. I can't tell you the number of times in my life where I've, I've blown it. I've made mistakes. I've gone a, a different route, and God redeemed it. I may have suffered the consequences, but God redeems it for my good and for his glory. God is in the redemption business, and that's what the book of Ruth is really all about. Praise God for that. Well, Naomi now uh, heads out with her daughter-in-law, Ruth, to go back home. They're heading back to Bethlehem. Uh, do you know what Bethlehem means? The word Bethlehem means house of bread. Is there any bread in the house of Israel? No. 
<laughs> There's a famine going on here. And it won't be until the very end of the story, when the harvest comes in, that the bread is restored back on the shelf. How does that happen? Ruth and Boaz basically are the ones, the people, who bring it all about. In fact, a thousand years later, ten centuries later, in this same location, there are going to be shepherds out in the field at night. Where are they? They are actually literally in the field of Boaz. Basically, Jesus is going to be born right there in Bethlehem, the house of bread, and he's going to be referred to as the bread of life. The prophet uh, predicted in Matthew chapter 2, verse 6, And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, for out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So God connects the dots. God brings it all together in history. He redeems his people. And so what we have in our story is a big question. And the question is this. How in the world is Israel, who sits in destitution, basically miserable, wretched, poor, blind, and naked, that they're miserable, and they're in poverty, how is Israel ever going to be the nation that God calls them to be? How are they ever going to be a light to the world around them? The story here in the book of Ruth shows you how you go from de uh, destitution to, to, to restoration. How you go from a time of famine to a time of plenty. How you go from uh, a time of the judges to a time of the kings. And then to the king of kings. How do you go from being a nobody to being the person God has called you to be? How do you do it? You turn to, the, to God's kingsman redeemer. You turn to God's kinsman, kinsman, redeemer. That's where Boaz come in, comes in. Boaz is basically the, the hero of the story here. He, as Naomi is a type or a reflection of the nation, Boaz is a type or a reflection of the kinsman redeemer. What's that all about? Well, back in Deuteronomy chapter 25, God had a wonderful way of uh, protecting and providing for the widow. The one who uh, had no children. After her husband died, she's, she's by herself. And so what happens to her estate? What happens to her name? What happens to her family line? She has no one to pass it on to. Well, the Mosaic Law basically stated that she could go to her next of kin if he was available and he was willing. It wasn't forced upon that person, but she could put a claim on him to take her as his wife to start a family, to basically raise up children in that family. That way the family name and the family estate stayed in the family. This new husband was called the kinsman redeemer. And so Boaz, again, comes along as the hero of our story. Why? Because he beautifully illustrates what that kinsman redeemer relationship is all about. You see, you have a kinsman redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the one who was made like us, kinsman. He became flesh and blood and yet sinless. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 26 tells us that he is holy, harmless, undefiled, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He became human. Why? Why did Jesus have to become human? They call that the incarnation, God in a bod. Why did he do that? Why did he become flesh and blood? Why? Because then he could marry the bride, that's you and I, in a relationship that saves us. Just like Boaz was in a relationship that saved Ruth. But you know what's interesting? What we have here in our story is, is that no matter how much Boaz cared for Ruth, no matter how much he loved her, he initiated, but she still had to, had to respond. He waited for her to make the move. She had to make a decision to stake her claim. That's exactly the way it is when you and I come to our kinsman redeemer. 
Have you staked your claim? <laughs> he initiates, we respond. And the Lord loves us so much, but we need to respond. We need to RSVP to that, uh, that invitation that he has so graciously extended to each and every one of us. Jesus invites us when he says, Come to me, all you that are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Are you weary? I am. <laughs> are you heavy laden? I am. I come to the Lord because he gives us rest. We find a new relationship with, with him. And when we do that, just like Boaz covered uh, Ruth with his, his uh, robe, so also uh, he covers us with his robe of righteousness. In fact, uh, Romans 3.22 puts it this way, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all those who believe. And so listen, when you look at the book of Ruth, basically you and I are supposed to look at her in the mirror and say, wait, that's me. Wait, that's Jesus reaching out to me, someone who is unworthy, unloved, uncared for. And then along comes our kinsman redeemer. God is in the redemption business. He brings us back. He buys us back. He died on a cross for you and for me. He, he went through hell for you and for me. And even today, he stands at the entrance of uh, our hearts. Revelation 3.20 says, Behold, he says, I stand at the door and knock. And if any man hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. In other words, there's a relationship established over a meal, so to speak. But he won't bust down the door. He initiates, we respond. It's your move. And when you make that move, you are the beneficiary of a love story that was written in blood on a cross erected 2,000 years ago in Judea. That's the Christmas story that we want to share with anybody and everybody around us, especially in the next couple of weeks of, of Advent. We, that's the good news. That's what this season is all about. And this morning you were given, as Craig pointed out, a card. And we want to invite you, for the next four Sundays, we're going to be sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. And there are some people, some friends, some family members, some neighbors, that may never darken the door of the church, except maybe at Christmas time. We're going to give four Sundays, uh, basically focusing on fresh eyes of what that message, that good news about our kinsman redeemer is really all about. And so we invite you to invite others. Uh, make this Christmas season, uh, starting next Sunday, the 3rd, the 10th, the 17th, and the 24th, and then Christmas Eve on the 24th as well. So that's just a plug. I really want to encourage you. Spread the good news of Jesus Christ. That's what uh, the message of Ruth is all about. It's our kinsman redeemer, the relationship that we have that affects now and forever. It's good news that we want to share with every person that we come in contact with. And so make this Christmas season, this Advent, a time of reaching out beyond ourselves, taking a risk and reaching out and meeting the needs of other people who desperately need a Savior. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you this morning for the message of Ruth. We thank you for the, <laughs> the good news of Jesus Christ. And as we approach uh, the Christmas season, Father, I pray that you would open our eyes and help us to see the good news in, with fresh eyes, to reach out to those around us, to invite them into uh, the, the, the light of the message of the good news of Jesus Christ, our kin, kinsman redeemer, and what that means that affects our lives both here and now and forever. Father, I pray that you would uh, stir our hearts. We thank you for answered prayer. We thank you for the blessings and the, and the, the, the rich spiritual uh, benefits that you've given each and every one of us as your children, brothers and sisters in Christ, in the family of what the church is really, really all about. And I pray that you would uh, stir our hearts, uh, reawaken our, our, our spirit, help us, Father, to see you in, in a new way. 
and help us to reach out to those around us in desperate need of a Savior. And so, Father, we just commit this time to you.